everyone welcome back to the i should totally be dead right now podcast where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime natural disasters and everything else in between how's it going michelle Woo! it's good it's the awesome. new year a new me the whole thing <laughs> not really it's the same old shit <laughs> i'm did sorry have- that was very <laughs> inspiring <laughs> well did you have a good break a little bit uh, all right i spent it six so oh, it was yeah kind of lame i got this stupid flu uh no fun but we managed to make it through all of lord of the rings on new year's eve as we do oh nice did i go to sleep right at 11 yes yes i did i never even made it to midnight that's so funny you're ringing (laughs) the new year michelle i know like our friend's daughter was like so disappointed with us she's like you're leaving we're gonna be able to watch the ball drop in actual time and oh yeah Oh no. You're like, yeah, we're out. We'll see you later. <laughs> I was going to text you at midnight here and I'm like, oh, it's like three o'clock there. She's probably sleeping. <laughs> oh, I was asleep like hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started drinking at like nine or 10 in the morning. We had mimosas <laughs> and berries. And so by noon, we were all ready to nap. So we did do that for a little while. <laughs> whatever and then we were up and ready to go again and you know then 11 o'clock hit and we're like time for bed <laughs> you crack me up i love uh, it. what'd you do for new year's uh we were uh in at our friend's place near ashland Fun. Uh, and yeah we also started pretty early but we made it <laughs> to midnight oh well done I mean, we even stayed up to like two o'clock, which I was surprised. Oh my God. I know. Above and beyond. (laughs) I did crash though. Crashed right after that. But hey, you're like 10 years younger than me. So I don't even feel bad. Yeah, I'm still in my 30s though. And it's getting a little, uh, (laughs) a little rough. Wait till you're effing 45. And Um, I was like, oh my God, midnight is 10 million miles away. I can't (laughs) even do it. That's too funny. Well, since it's the new year, we're going back to basics, guys. So this drink, we just have a classic yep. gin and tonic. Yep. Woo. Delicious. I'm actually enjoying mine. I haven't had a mm-hmm. gin and tonic in years, I think. Yeah, I I can't remember the last time I had a gin and tonic, actually. Ugh. So it's very refreshing. It's uh, It's calorie, you know, good for you. Not good for you, but like less calories, I'm trying to well, say. I think tonic water is actually pretty good for you. I think mm-hmm. it's made from some, I don't know, it's got something in it that you can't really find elsewhere. It's, oh. I think it's quinning. I, oh, God, never mind. Oh. Starts with a Q, <laughs> but I think it's super good for you. <laughs> so, there you go. See, you're starting off the year right. That's right. All right. Are you ready? For Are you going to kick off our first story of the year? I am. All right. All right. I am. Start in 2023, right? That's right. And we're going to start the story with Marianne Bruce. Okay, Marianne Bruce. So Marianne, she's a badass woman. Ooh, okay. I like her already. I know. Throughout her life, she was very successful. She was a Fortune 100 division president Oh, and on several advisory and nonprofit boards and was passionate mm-hmm. about cultivating women leaders and helping them achieve success in their careers and life. <laughs> I remember already. <laughs> Right. She has a wonderful sense of humor and she loves to travel with her husband. She lives in North Carolina, but even through all the successes, she was deemed diva of disaster. Oh, dear. (laughs) That's not what you want. (laughs) 
She got this nickname because throughout her life, she survived seven near-death experiences. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or some close Ooh. calls, I would say. Yeah. So let's start out with all these seven stories. Oh my goodness, okay. The first one is 1984. Marianne and her husband uh, went on vacation in Hawaii on Honolulu. Mm, okay, okay. So they're hanging by the pool when they notice everyone left and they were the only ones left at the pool. That would be a little disconcerting. Like, <laughs> where the fuck everyone go? <laughs> Thinking that that was strange, they went up to the front lobby desk and asked what is happening or if anything was. That's when the tsunami siren went off. Oh, oh, that's scary. So all of the guests were evacuated and they went to a Mormon temple when the tsunami hits. Luckily, it wasn't as bad as they predicted and everyone survived. Ooh. So it wasn't <laughs> a tragedy. You know, it, it was a tsunami, of course. Um, but luckily, everyone survived and it's still a scary thing to go through. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I don't want to go through a tsunami. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, exactly. So it could have been bad, but it wasn't, thankfully. Okay. So now we're in 1985, which is one year after that. Okay. Marianne's father was in the hospital after having a heart attack. So she got on a plane to head to New York City. But unbelievably, her plane flew right into the eye of a hurricane. Which... Oh, no! <laughs> and this was Hurricane Gloria, which the wind speed got up to 145 miles per hour. I do remember uh, Hurricane Gloria. I don't remember yeah. the specifics of it, but I remember the name. <laughs> well, usually commercial airplanes, they can fly a fly above the hurricanes thankfully oh. uh, sometimes they can't but this time with turbulence and all that they still were able to land safely oh, but god. it was a scary flight for sure yeah. oh, oh god uh luckily marianne was still able to see her dad and he recovered fully oh well, nice yeah all right Ugh. two down all right okay. <laughs> number three number three it is now 1987, which is now two years after this last incident. Yeah, these are like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. We're in Brickenridge, Colorado, and okay. her and her husband took a skiing trip. Okay. So after a day of skiing, they break for lunch. They go and walk into the lodge, and they see people running around. It was pure chaos in this lodge. They were asking what was happening, and finally, someone said that there was an avalanche. It was oh, the same... <laughs> <laughs> it was the same oh slope God. they just got off of so if they went down it a few minutes later they would have been engulfed in the avalanche oh my gosh yeah good thing their stomachs started rumbling a bit <laughs> all right <laughs> so i'd be they... like you know what i think we're we're staying at home <laughs> right? for a while <laughs> So the next one is in oh, 19, 1993. Okay, so there's a little bit of time. There's, yeah, there's a little bit one. of yeah, a little bit of a gap. Marianne is working in the World Trade Center when she hears a loud, terrible noise. Oh my goodness, are you serious? Yes, she. Well, this is 1993. Remember? Oh, you're right. You're right. 
Uh, but still, God. yeah. So she hears a loud, terrible noise. She tries to contact several people, but no one knew what was happening. She couldn't find mm-hmm. out what was going on. So she goes to the bathroom and then sees smoke and a lot of it in the hallway. Mm. That is when the evacuation notice happens. No one still knew what was happening, so they thought it was a fire since there's so much smoke. Yeah. But Marianne had a coworker who was recovering from a skiing accident, and she had a cast from the waist down and couldn't take the stairs oh no so she got four tall men to help carry her down and since it was pitch black in the staircase because something was going on so marianne had to count every step because she would go first and count and let the men know how many steps they need to take before they go to the flat platform below does that make sense so Yes, that does make okay. sense. So not only is she like a survivor, but she's also a hero. Right? Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. God, Marianne, I love you. <laughs> they had to do this for 34 stories to get to the bottom. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. So once they got to the bottom floor, she noticed someone with stuff all over their face and she asked them what it was. They had no idea that there was something on their face, but then she realizes it's all over her face too, but she didn't realize it was ash that she had. All over oh my god i was like is this some sort of crazy acid and you <laughs> eat her face off oh. no it's ash so still not knowing what happened she goes home and that's when her husband runs to her crying hugs and kisses her and she found out that there was a bombing at the world trade center oh my goodness terrible yes, i think i should have known that <laughs> i mean i don't want to get into my lack of fucking knowing what's going on well i think 9-11 kind of that was the biggest tragedy there so but still all right number five number five 1994 so the last one was what 1993 so this is a year again one year (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) marianne was flying to see a client in los angeles okay well in the air there was an earthquake in Northridge, Los Angeles, which was a 6.7 magnitude earthquake. Oh, gosh. Again, not knowing what has happened, her plane lands and she gets into a taxi. And as they're driving, there's a lot of aftershocks that are oh. happening. Oh, yeah. So the taxi driver said he didn't feel comfortable driving anymore. So he actually took her back to the airport. She couldn't get uh, a plane out, so she stayed at a hotel, which she was experiencing the aftershocks all throughout the night with things falling, things breaking, not or not realizing that. Did I say it was kind of a bigger earthquake than? Well, there were several bridges that fell, Mm. but she landed right after it. So, (laughs) she probably didn't make it to see her client that time around. No, she did not. So now it is September eleventh, two thousand one. Oh, good heavens. Here we go. (laughs) She was on a plane from Charlotte to Boston. While flying, they told there was an emergency at the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. and they had to get diverted. Marianne knew exactly what had happened and she started crying. Her colleague asked her what she was crying about and she said, this is no accident. Oh, wow. Right. I wonder how she knew. I think since she did the first... Uh, she had been through the, the first, first bombing. Yeah, she probably oh. realized another bombing probably happened. She probably didn't know like a plane flew into both yeah, towers, right but she probably knew it was some type of attack again. Uh, when they did land, they were escorted by National Guard 
And on the TV, as she was walking by, she watched the towers crumble. All right. Here's the last one. Oh, gosh. The last one is January of 2009. So we got eight years. Okay. Yeah. She's flying from New York to uh, North Carolina. And she's in seat 5D. So she's in the front of the plane. Near the front. So she's reading a newspaper when the plane hits a flock of Canada geese. Oh, God. When immediately shuts down both engines. Oh. After 22 seconds of the hit of the geese, the pilot makes a mayday call. Not having time to get to the runway, they were heading towards the Hudson River. Are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, my God. Uh, so if, you know what <laughs> at this point if this bitch is like on a plane i'm getting off like yeah, i know right <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh so marion again had no idea what was happening she and the pilot, so she was sitting near a pilot that was sitting around right. her and both of them thought like we had to make an emergency landing but it wasn't like nose diving or anything like that. It was just sort of it, more gradual. Yeah, exactly. But that was her story at the front of the plane. People in the back of the plane could actually see the wings of the plane on fire. Oh, and wow. so they uh, they had a that different would be story. Terrifying. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm up in first class having a cocktail right. still, and like, what's going on? Well. <laughs> Yeah. Well, also the people in the back also saw that they were almost going to hit the bridge. The plane passed over the bridge just 900 feet above it. So they thought, yeah, you know, they're just watching that and just like, are we going to hit it? Are we going to hit it? Mm -hmm. it. It's happening. Well, Marianne still had no idea. She even saw like the water coming, but she just thought they were close to the runway. That's why they were getting so close. Mm. It wasn't until they crashed into the water <laughs> that she realizes like, this is not the this runway. Isn't right? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! I cannot. I I should have guessed that she was on this flight. But... Yeah. <laughs> oh my so since she was in the front, she was able to get out and get right onto her raft as she was watching people jump to the wing of the plane to get off. But there were no lives lost. 155 people survived this plane crash what is that pilot's name sully yes yeah of course Mm -hmm. didn't tom hanks play him yeah he did of course he did (laughs) so (sighs) it was very lucky because earlier that day it was freezing and snowing but when the plane crashed it was actually sunny oh oh my goodness she said that she was sad because everyone's luggage, you know, was probably perish. She did write everything that was in her luggage. So if they did get it back, they know who mm-hmm. it was for and what was in there. But in the bag was actually a ring her husband gave her that she was Aww. really sad that she lost. Yeah. But she's alive. Reco- <laughs> well, they recovered the ring, actually. So did they really? <laughs> they did. Yes. So they... They got I thought it back that to was her. gone forever. Right. <laughs> no, so good good on her, man. Yeah. But some people may call Marianne unlucky. Even her birthday's on April Fool's Day. So <laughs> if you had told this story around April Fool's Day, oh, yeah. I would have like, been on to you. <laughs> right. But Marianne lives her life following purpose and passion, what she calls the two Ps. All right. 
She says, I never wanted to let fear interfere with living. How many people do you know that have survived a plane crash, a bombing, or a terrorist attack? I jokingly tell my friends, you want to be with me because you'll have an adventure and you'll live to tell about it. (laughs) That's true. She did live to tell about it. My goodness. And even though four of these stories are from our plane accidents, uh, she still loves flying and is very comfortable. I mean, she met her husband on a plane. They sat together and just started talking and fell in love. She's effing braver than I am. I know, right? <laughs> I After the first one, I'd be like, well, I'm probably going to just drive from now on. And Europe yeah. is gone from me forever. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I, always, I, I was looking to see if like, I was wondering if she worked at the World Trade Center during the 2001. I think she didn't work there anymore because she lived in North mm. Carolina. So, but very lucky. She's very lucky. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Tragedy could have struck, like, it did strike, but she was just missed it. She just, just, just missed on it. the other side of it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's crazy. Isn't it? That's insane. Well, we'll have so. to like check in with her again in like another 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> right? other, just to see like major monumental survival things she's been through. I'm surprised she wasn't in the cave with all those Thai soccer players. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <I'm> here too. <laughs> I just yeah. watched that movie, 13 Lives. Oh, did you? I haven't yeah. seen that yet. I heard it's good. It's though. really good. It's, okay. it's got Vigo Mortensen in it. So, of I course, mean... I already love it. Right. Um, but no, it was really good. And it's so funny because I keep, like, anytime you look up survival stories, it's yeah. like the Thai soccer team. And for mm-hmm. some reason, I just never told it and never really delved into it and mm-hmm. now i wish i had because the story is so interesting well you still can what are you talking about now, now i feel like it's made into a movie i can't do it <laughs> it's off limits all right fair enough fair it's enough super good though i recommend okay. it if you want a good survival story that's wildly yeah. stressful and makes you never want to do anything with caves yeah that's your story <laughs> i like that i uh oh my I god sorry it. back to marianne oh, you're amazing yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. She's just a good person. (laughs) She is a good person. Uh, You know me, I always get all teary eyed over any sort of female empowerment. (laughs) (laughs) Saving the woman in the cast and the whole thing. Oh, so sweet. Well, good job, Marianne. Badass woman. Indeed. Love it. Surviving all those things. I know. Like good. I again, yeah, flying. I would just be like, eh, I'll just pass. Yeah, we're done with that now. <laughs> we're done with that. All right, Michelle, go for it. All right, all right. So I'm going to take us back to September of 2016. Okay. We have got Jim Farrington, Sean Royston, and Tolan Annis. Okay. And they are going on a boys' trip. Oh, so hey. This, this is something that they've been doing for years, every other year. They get together, they kiss their wives goodbye, and they head out on an adventure. At Brokeback Mountain? Not in this case. (laughs) My word, Caitlin. (laughs) They're just friends. Okay, okay. okay. All right. Yeah. I don't care. Whatever you want, guys. Yeah, right? No, no, no. I'm sure that's... Anyway. (laughs) What are we talking about now? (laughs) Sorry. 
Anyway, okay, so this particular boys' trip, they decided to kayak Lake Superior's Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore, which is a challenging kayaking route. It's sort of oh. you go out and then you come back. Interesting. So, so the plan is, is they are going to be actually gone for like a week. So they have lots of supplies. They have their waterproof paddling pants they have quick dry t-shirts they have their life jackets which are all zipped up ready to go they've got provisions sort of tucked into their kayaks they each have their own kayak that's between 14 to 16 feet long oh wow okay so they're really they're packed up and ready to go they've got you know kind of lots of emergency things their gps their cell phones all this stuff in sort of waterproof bags tucked into the kayaks wow they're ready they are ready so the forecast is not looking so hot though it's supposed to be winds up to 10 knots and uh the sea rising which actually they're headed out to a lake but i think because it's lake superior it's like the ocean it's just huge and there's big waves and stuff oh Oh, um so they're expecting waves that are between one and three feet and so they're just like you know what we've handled worse we can do it Okay. And then, of course, the next day it was supposed to get even worse, but they were undeterred. They were ready to rock and roll. Okay. So they climbed into their kayaks and about 1030 in the morning on September 13th, they push out. So they are pushing out from a beach at Sand Point. Okay. Which is about 100 yards from park headquarters. Sure. So... It's, I think it's a fairly popular sort of place to set out with your boat. Oh, okay. And so they pushed out with the plan to return in a week. A week? So, yeah, no, they're going to be out there for a while. So they got all kinds of food and all kinds of stuff with them. But they're going to like camp somewhere or what? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. they're going to sort of plan to kayak like five to 10 miles a day. Oh, okay. And then maybe do some more kayaking. I and see. then they'll head back the same way they came okay. um, towards the end of the week. It's not a day trip. This is a, this is a yeah, full no, on trip. Okay. They are okay. out for adventure. Nice. So they started heading uh, Northeast and there were some small waves and then the Lakeshore's trademark cliffs started to rise on their right. Oh. So it's like a whole bunch of water and then a whole huge cliff okay. <laughs> the other side going coming up from the lake uh-huh. so if that makes sense yeah they knew that their next place that they were going to be able to stop was going to be five miles ahead oh so wow. they've got almost five miles of cliffs on the <sighs> one side <laughs> and so and they were going for a place it's a touristy place called miners castle point so they're headed out they're you know going along kayaking probably having the time of their lives <laughs> i like to think maybe they were cracking some beers because i probably would have been cracking some beers yeah i mean point. i probably would have yeah. had them trailing behind me like when you do when you're cuban <laughs> so, a little chest full bringing of... it up on a rope and taking <laughs> yeah. my bud light off they Love probably it. weren't drinking it all whatever the story doesn't say oh <gasps> all right we can imagine yes I am imagining. So as they're heading down, the headwind started to grow Mm. and it grew to the forecasted 10 knots, but then it just kept on getting stronger and stronger. Oh, actually, I don't even know how much 10 knots is, but it doesn't sound good. Let's see. So, and now the waves have grown from small waves that are one to three feet to four feet. 
Oh, do you know how much? Mm -hmm. It's 11 miles per hour. Okay, so it's coming at them fairly decently. So even though the waves have now grown to four feet, they did not consider turning around. They're like, fuck it, we're adventurers, we're going for it, which I appreciate. Right. So I'm like, who am I kidding? I would never be. And I'd be like, see the first wave and be like, "Mm, should we check Uh, the forecast again? (laughs) No, you'd be like, I haven't finished my beer yet, so let's just stay a little bit longer. (laughs) Exactly right. Oh, okay. So our poor kayakers here, they've traveled around four miles and they have kayaked through worse. So they're, as I said, undeterred. They had been going for about 90 minutes when now the waves have grown to six feet. Oh, whoa. So it's getting, now we're in, this is getting dangerous and this is getting scary. And the wind rose to 20 uh, knots, which has got to be, let's see. Let us know, Caitlin. 23 miles per hour. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean fairly significant yeah and what tolan said is that when it bat- went bad it went bad fast mm. so it was like all of a sudden it was all manageable and then boom it was suddenly not manageable and very right. dangerous. Ugh. so tolan took the lead and he was about 60 feet in front of jim with sean about another 40 or 50 feet behind jim so we have tolan jim sean Okay. And Sean was the first one to go overboard. <gasps> oh, so, I mean, as you know, kayaks are kind of meant to be sort of rolled around and gone. I guess overboard. so. I mean, but you're not really hoping to do that in this kind of turbulent waters. Right. And it was not a good place for a swim. The water was cold. It was 62 degrees and it was super choppy. And the wind, of course, was going at 23 miles an hour. And they were pushing him towards those cliffs. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So he's like 300 feet away from the cliffs and the waves are just pushing him towards the cliffs even more. So Miner's Castle Point, which is where they were trying to get to, was about a quarter mile upwind. So they were like super close. So close. Um, And that was going to be the safest landing beach for them to get to. So they needed to get to like a half a mile kind of upwind to get them where they could take their kayaks off kayak oh my goodness sorry love <laughs> get their kayaks out of the water and be able to sort of rest and right get all their shit together but fighting 23 miles for our winds uh and six feet waves right <laughs> oh no so after sean tipped over jim saw him and he quickly sort of paddled over to him And he was able to bring his kayak parallel to Sean's and he was able to steady it while Sean sort of climbed back into his cockpit. Mm. But unfortunately, the cockpit was like completely full of water. So his kayak is totally full. And he's got this like sort of small plastic hand pump that will help pump the water out. Uh But with the waves crashing and everything, he was never able to even get hardly any of the water out. And so they were like, the pumping is just no use. They'd get close to sort of getting it out. And then another wave would come right over the top of them and fill his kayak again. So in all the while, the wind is pushing them and the waves are pushing them towards those cliffs. And, and Sean is now out of the kayak. 
I think he was actually able to climb back in. Oh, I see. I and see. start trying to pump the water out of his kayak. Okay. And so, and he's got Jim right next to him, mm-hmm. sort of holding their kayaks together oh, and trying okay. to stabilize them. So they're they're parallel to each other. I see. That makes sense. Yes. So, I mean, that was all kind of pointless because then one uh, wave comes over and knocks them both out of the boat. Oh. So Sean is in the in the water a second time, and now Jim is also in the water. Jim was able to scramble back into his boat, as was Sean. And then they sort of looked up and they saw Talon sort of way further out trying to climb into his boat. So he had also capsized. So these guys are just getting thrown all over the effing place. Oh, no. So they sort of, again, got their kayaks back together Uh and sort of held them together. So they were each sort of holding on to each other's boat, trying to keep it stable. But they, again, had huge swells coming at them. 20 knot winds and they just couldn't make any progress whatsoever towards mm-hmm. Talon who is sort of off on his own, uh. <laughs> you know, trying to get back into his own boat. Right. And so Sean was saying that their arms were just giving out and the, he looked over at Jim and he's like, I can't do this anymore. And they're just getting closer and closer to the cliffs. Uh. And he's like, we got a call. We got a call for help. Jim actually had a, VHS, which I VHF. Um, oh, I was like, to, that's gonna do nothing in VHS. Oh my gosh, you. <laughs> you weirdos! <laughs> they um, do have I, everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it must be um, just sort of a walkie-talkie that's prepared to talk to the park rangers or whoever. And so he was like, "Mayday, Mayday! We have three kayakers stranded on Miner's Rock." But there was no response because <gasps> there was no one there to hear the call. Oh my gosh. And well, it was mainly not that there was no one there, excuse me. It was that the tall cliffs blocked the call. So they never oh, received it. They, oh. you know. So <laughs> they're just signaling and signaling and there was no one. And everyone else had heard that there was a small craft advisory. And so all the boats that were in the area had all docked. And so it was just three, they like had set up just before they heard the call. You know, if they had probably stayed on land a little bit longer and finished that beer, (laughs) (laughs) they heard it. So there's no other boats out there and they're just getting slammed with wave after wave. And unfortunately, while Jim was trying to make that call, he capsized a second time. When he got back into his kayak, the radio was gone. It had been stripped from his life jacket and his cell phone and his GPS unit were lost to the bottom (gasps) of the lake. Oh my gosh. They were like, we don't know how we're going to be found if we even do get through. So throughout this whole thing, Jim and Sean had been trying to make it around to Miner's Castle Point. Again, it's just that point that's just a quarter mile up so they could get their kayaks out of the lake and, you know, be able to figure out what they were going to do. But they realized now that even that quarter of mile was just impossible. They right. had, they were fighting against the winds. They were fighting against the, all the waves. And so they started looking around to try to figure out what else they were going to do. So they ended up sort of allowing the wind and the waves to take them closer to the cliffs. Cause they thought that they had seen this little sort of sandstone ridge 
that they thought they could get to. Mm. And so they thought they saw a beach kind of essentially, but when they got closer, they realized that that beach had been an illusion. It was actually um, a partially submerged point of sandstone. So they were seeing something that was underwater and it wasn't actually going to help them get up and out of the waves. Uh. So Jim, even so still managed to sort of get onto the cliffs and sort of cling to the cliffside. Okay. And he sort of tried to get Sean and his kayak kind of up with him, but Mm -hmm. it was just too crazy and there was crashing surf. And what ended up happening is Sean just ended up capsizing again and is now back in the water. But the waves ended up pushing Sean and the boat sort of along the shoreline and he ended up disappearing behind a small outcropping. Oh. So now Jim and Sean are separated. Oh, no. And so at 1230, about two hours after they, they first started mm-hmm. this whole adventure, all three men are separated. Oh, so we have Jim yes. up on the cliffside, Talon, who even know, or excuse me, Tolan, who even knows where the F that poor guy is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sean has floated away from Jim and is headed down shore. And again, poor Jim stranded on the rocks with his radio and his cell phone at the bottom of the lake. Right. Nowhere to be seen. So Jim starts trying to walk along this sort of narrow strip of like cliff face, Uh uh, like a type type oh my god like a tightrope artist there we with go. his with his kayak or uh no his kayak i think is gone it's just gone so he's yeah, just walking so it's just okay this poor guy <laughs> clinging onto a cliff okay yeah but the waves just keep hitting him and then he would fall into the water and then he was uh. able to get back out of the water and hold on to the cliff side only to get pummeled again and then go back into the that's water. so tiring Oh, yeah. These guys have to be, like, completely exhausted. Yeah. As he was getting out of the water a third time, Uh Tolan sort of floats by. Oh. (laughs) And he is just out of his boat, but he's holding on to his boat. Okay. And he's been trying to kick towards that same miner's castle point. Mm. Like he's trying to get to that same spot those other guys were, but he had just lost so much ground from the powerful wind. It just kept pushing him back and pushing him back. Mm. So the two men tried yelling to each other, but communication was hopeless. It was too loud, too many waves. And then soon Tolan just disappeared again. And Jim did not see him anywhere. So alone again, Jim ended up finding a broken tree trunk and he was able to use that to sort of get off the rocks. And he was eventually able to climb up about halfway up the 90 foot cliff face. So he's like 45 feet above the water. Oh, wow. Not able to climb completely up and out and get up onto the cliffs. That's high. You could actually now see Miner's Castle Point. (laughs) Wow. But he just, and he could, he could also hear like the thump of car doors and stuff because it was a pretty popular tourist attraction. Oh. So he tried yelling up to him like, help, help, but no one could hear him. Right. So let's leave Jim where he is. Okay. About halfway up a cliff face. Just hanging on. Fair enough. So back to Sean. 
Uh-huh. So as we know, Sean kind of got taken downstream. Yeah. And he struggled in the surf until the waves sort of spat him out onto the shoreline that was further down the lake. Mm-hmm. So now he's completely exhausted. So he's just sort of floating on his back trying mm-hmm. to figure out what the fuck he's going to do. Yeah. He's got Miner's Castle Point about a quarter mile away still. But the wind and the swells made it impossible. It was like trying to get to the moon. Forget mm. it. And so he decided to sort of turn back and go back the way they came and head towards Sand Point, which is where they originally um, Oh, my gosh. Five miles back? Yeah. At this point, it's about three and a half miles back okay. from him. But it's still, yeah, it's a ways. A long way. But it wasn't really the distance that worried him. It was the cold. Like oh. at this point, he can tell that hypothermia is beginning to set in. <gasps> oh, um, no. He needed to get out of the water and he needed to get out of the water quickly. And he's like, I'm a swimmer. I'll just start kicking, which is for him. So after about three hours, <gasps> um, Sean made it most of the way back to Sand Point. Uh-huh. And he got to a point where uh, he was actually kind of in a swamp area. Huh. Where and he could actually stand up and walk. <gasps> oh, so he, okay. Yeah, and he was able to sort of grab some branches and uh-huh. sort of just tug himself along, so he wasn't entirely swimming. Okay. And so after about another half hour of wading through all this thick foliage, he came to a mouth of a creek, and it gave him just the enough opening to be able to get himself up and out of the water. Wow. So now Sean is on probably not dry land, but land. Right. <laughs> um, and so he followed a creek bed into a cedar thicket and he spotted a little dirt trail. <gasps> so he was like, oh. Uh. And he started down that trail as fast as his wobbly legs would take him. <laughs> right. Oh. Uh, he was like hiking along and he blew past an older couple that was taking pictures and he was able to reach a parking lot. And then by sheer dumb luck, a ranger was driving by. Oh my gosh. And so he was able to wave him down. And so he's like, my two buddies are still out on the lake stranded. We need to start getting them help. Four and a half hours later, we now have a search and rescue operation. Oh my gosh, that's so long. (laughs) Oh God, could you imagine just clinging to your boat in crazy weather and clinging to that poor cliffside? No, no. So the National Park Service set out its patrol boat, Arrowhead, Mm -hmm. and then was actually able to find a rescue helicopter to just start searching and looking for him. And so since being separated from Sean, Jim hadn't moved much since his, he's still on his perch halfway up Mm -hmm. that cliff, but he figured he was wearing bright red and he had his life jacket. And so he figured he was probably super visible. Right. just hanging out on the cliff. So he that's where he wanted to stay. He had lost his glasses in the water, oh. but he spotted the lights of the arrowhead coming oh, okay. down the lake. And Yay. so he was able to, it was the biggest relief of his life seeing those blue flashing lights that oh. no one ever wants to see in your rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah, seriously. True story. And using the boat's loudspeakers, they told him, stay put, a rescue is on its way. So Chopper arrived at 6.30, and it was going to be actually a very dangerous rescue. 
because mm-hmm. they had to get him from his spot on the cliff. So the helicopter had to hang out and put um, a rescuer down five times the preferred height of a rescue. So normally they only like to put a rescuer down 40 Mm -hmm. feet Mm -hmm. and Jim was down 210 feet. Oh, wow. And so, Mm -hmm. and with the wind going like crazy, they were, I mean, it was super dangerous for this rescuer who was probably going to be swinging back and forth in front of this cliff face. But they were able to get him down and um, the rescuer sort of strapped himself to Jim and they were able to hoist him back up into the helicopter. Oh, okay. So they did do it. All right. So the helicopter set down at seven o'clock and Jim and Sean were reunited. Oh, okay. And so now the the helicopter refueled and Mm. it's going to set out to look for Tolan. Where, I mean, really, except for that one little time when they were, Tolan was floating by, they haven't seen him since. Right. They decided to look around that Miner's Castle Point first, because that was very close to sort of the last place he had been seen. Tolan had been in the water for seven hours now, and he was well away from there by the time they started searching. So when Tolan first capsized, uh-huh. He was about 150 feet away. So he he was too far away for them to really help or communicate with them. And after failing to sort of get back into his kayak, he decided to just sort of chill out and wait for others to come help because he figured someone had called by then. Right. And by the time he like looked up to re- to look for Sean and Jim, they were long gone. They were uh, on their own adventure, right. holding onto each other's boats, and then eventually making it onto the cliffside. Mm-hmm. So Tolan sort of resolved to stay near his orange kayak because he figured that could be seen. They're going to have a lot easier time spotting a kayak in the water than him in his blue and gray clothes. Oh, yeah. So he's just hanging onto that kayak for dear life. And he also knew that he had food and dry clothes in the kayak. You know, because okay. as you his, know, they had water bag, yeah. put all kinds of uh, provisions in the kayaks. So he figured he would just sort of kick his kayak over to Miner's Castle and land at the beach there. But again, the winds and the waves were getting in his way and just pushing him back and pushing him back. So going towards that direction was impossible. Mm. So he ended up abandoning his plan and he turned back instead. Hours have now just sort of flown by and you know he's just kicking and kicking and kicking he said normally when you have i'm paraphrasing here of course such a shitty situation that adrenaline's just going to carry you through but adrenaline had long since left him (laughs) like he was just having a hard time he had no sense of time but he had seen the sun like go across the sky he could feel himself becoming hyperthermic he was getting sleepy and his hands were shaking and he's like you got to get out of the water or it's not going to end well for you So about a mile from where they started off, he saw his chance. There was a low spot in the cliff with a big tree trunk sort of. Oh, okay. He was able to grab onto that root. His kayak was full of water, just like Sean's had been. Right. And so the boat ended up just being too cumbersome. So he had to let it go. 
it was oh, like no. one of the hardest things because uh, he felt like it was the one thing that was probably going to save him and it had all his water or yeah food and water and clothes and everything but he had to just let it go because mm-hmm. it was going to drag him down so he was able to pull himself up and out of the water and he was kind of on the edge of a thicket atop a low cliff but he's and out of the water I, what's that but he's out of the water He's out of the water. And by the time he got himself up and out of the water, the boat was gone. So his kayak had floated away. So he continued sort of walking down the ridge line and hoping that his boat actually might maybe get caught up down the shore and he would be able to actually get it back. And that is exactly what happened. (laughs) So he was able to go down the shore a little bit and there was his boat waiting for him. Oh my gosh, Ralph. Uh, so he was able to get a, some of his essential gear out. Uh, he changed his clothes. He was able to drink some water, get some trail mix, get himself refreshed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he got his phone that he kept in a waterproof box and he called for help. Aww. And so he called 911 and they're like, we're already looking for you, man. We Aww. know. Just try to tell us where to find you. Stay put. And so before he, he knew it, there was a helicopter circling above him. They couldn't see him in the dust, so he was able to get a light oh, that he had, okay. which could actually show through the underbrush. So they were able to find him. Oh, yay. So, I know. Oh. The helicopter sort of hung out above him, so uh-huh. the rangers on the ground were able to find him in the underbrush. Nice. So he had uh, rescuers able to find him and they decided that he was well enough to hike out himself. Wow. So they backed a trail through the darkness and walked about a half mile back to Sandpoint, where, of course, this all began. Oh, my gosh. I know. And they were like, hey, man, do you want to go to the hospital? And he's like, no way. My Jeep's just (laughs) over there. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's like, I'll go to the hospital and pick up my friends. (laughs) That is what he did. So he arrived at the emergency room Mm -hmm. and uh, Tolan found Jim and Sean. uh, And they had all changed out of their wet clothes and were in hospital scrubs and socks. Tolan ended up taking them shopping to buy oh, some shoes and the only thing was open was this like late night supermarket mm-hmm. and they were only able to find women's flip-flops with sparkles oh. but they bought them <laughs> so they're rocking their sparkly flip-flops and in the whole area all the restaurants were closed mm. but there was a casino that they were actually able to talk the them into opening their restaurant again oh wow <laughs> so they went in and Tolan, who was a whiskey distillery owner mm-hmm. was like i want a whiskey absolutely absolutely <laughs> so the uh the three friends toasted to their good fortune and gorged themselves on fried chicken strips oh um, i love that and the next day they walked in the shoreline with Jim and Sean still in their scrubs and women's <laughs> sandals, and they were able to recover all three boats. Oh, wow. So they had, they were able to get their wallets and the yeah. keys and most of their gears. And while their boys trip only lasted one day mm-hmm. <laughs> that year, they decided they were all happy to return home. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, that was an amazing story. Uh <laughs> terrifying i mean very three different stories all experiencing something different was very interesting 
Yeah, if you ever ask me to be like, hey, let's go on this cool adventuring kayak trip, I'd yeah. be like, nah, girl. No. I think we had a story a long time ago where someone like an otter attacked a kayaker. Yeah, that's right. Pass. These poor guys. I think there was other kayakers that got swallowed by a whale. Yeah, no. Just no kayaking. <laughs> yeah. I'm out forever. Yeah. I'll never be tempted by those kayaks at Costco. <laughs> Seriously, right? Plus they're big. Like, where are you going to put them? Indeed. Gosh, come on. <laughs> Everyone's like, they're your garage. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Oh Lord. And then Marianne being a baller. I know. Woo! Like my goodness. I want to be a baller like that. That's awesome. I know. Right. We just, we just drink and tell the stories of the ballers. <laughs> yes. Well put Caitlin. Like after all these stories, it's like, why do we go outside Michelle? Why? <laughs> perilous yeah (laughs) i mean i'm just happy everyone survives that's the thank god we tell survival stories yeah that's why we go outside oh my goodness i have a uh a local story you know (gasps) here in ohio do you okay yeah in fact like as i was getting ready for this podcast Mm -hmm. we were watching the video and i was like This is my next story. Oh, fun. Incredible. So you just wait. (laughs) Okay. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this. Well, awesome. Well, uh, wow. This is a good story. This is, these were great stories. I really enjoyed this uh, episode. I enjoy all episodes, of course, but. Well, we had a good drink. Super classic. Tonic-y, which is sort of healthy. So, ba-boom. Yeah. Nailed it. (laughs) And we're refreshed after the break. So we're ready. We are we're ready ready to rock and roll that's right well uh thank you so much for listening everyone we really do appreciate you taking your time and giving us a listen it's always been fun we love it so much and yeah we'll see you next time anything to add michelle nah (laughs) (laughs) love it love it all right we'll see you guys next time goodbye goodbye (laughs) 